Hi, I'm Raj Kumar, President and Editor-in-Chief at DevX. You're listening to Davos Dispatch, our special edition of This Week in Global Development. I'm here in the freezing cold, snowy ski town in Switzerland for the World Economic Forum's annual meeting. And I'm here to pull back the curtain for all of you who listen to this podcast through conversations with a number of diverse leaders from around the world on some of the most important issues facing the globe today. Listen in and let me know what you think. My guest today is Mafalda Duarte, the executive director of the Green Climate Fund. She's new to the role, but not new to the issues and is really in one of the most important positions at the nexus of climate and development. In this episode, we'll learn all about her plans for the Green Climate Fund and her perspective on the broader trends in global development and climate change. Here's our discussion. A lot of people I talk to in this climate world and ask them, you know, what is making them optimistic. One of the things is the fact that Mafalda Duarte has taken over oh, the Green you. Climate Fund. <laughs> thank um, you. I know it's early to say, what are you doing? But what what are you doing? What's your plan? Because you know, the Green Climate Fund, we all know in the early going, it had a very slow start. And then it started moving faster. It was improving. Now you've taken over. And part of your remit, I think, is to drive that change even faster. Well, what are you What are you focusing on? So, um, I mean, I I came to the job uh, on the back of a strategy that the board had approved, um, and you know, it it's 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 a it's a very solid strategy. Uh, it talks about the things that we are talking about in the realm of climate: is how do we mobilize more private sector capital? How do we target the most vulnerable? Um, uh, so, so I mean, those. How do we think about the big transformations, like in the food system, in the transport, so like big system transformations? Um, so, that's all. Um, that's what we all know we have to do, um, and 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 GCF is expected to 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 play a big catalytic role. That has, uh, so the, the interesting thing about GCF, as I've been articulating it since I'm there, and what I find very interesting about GCF is. It has some interesting scale of resources. It has the flexibility. It has more flexibility. I mean, we can we can basically deploy the capital in a really flexible manner. Anywhere you want, right? Yeah. You can give grants. Just give away the money. You yeah, can we can do grants. We can do equity. We can do we can do plain equity. We can do junior equity. We can do guarantees. So it's really flexible. We do the entire value chain, so um, we can provide grants to governments to improve their policy, to improve their strategies, to improve their regulatory frameworks, to convene the stakeholders, all the way to project preparation. So we hear a lot about there are no projects and we, ha- we need resources for project preparation. There are resources for project preparation that uh, you know the, our partners can access to all the way to uh, then the investment. So I, f- I find interesting, the I think s- the strength of the fund is that scale of resources, is that flexibility, and then it's this network of partners. Is the fact that we can actually work with governments, yes, we can work directly with governments and we can work with multilateral development banks and other international financial institutions, but we can work with private sector 
and we can also work with uh, non-governmental non organizations. Uh, so again, that flexibility. Um, and one of the things that um, I have been saying is we are not yet, we, we are just, uh, in my sense, scratching the surface of the potential of GCF to actually make the most of all of the tools that it has and bring some of these partners together. I mean, we are here in Davos, and you know, some of the conversations is about how do we bring relevant stakeholders together? How do we bring different types of capital together? Because unless if we bring the public and the private and the philanthropic uh, together, we cannot, you know, get to the scale uh, and the speed at the speed that we need. So, so GCF has that network. We have more than 200 partners that we work with. Um, and so, you know, so what I'm really excited about is in this new phase is really on the one hand working with governments and helping them if they want to be ambitious and put a, ambitious programs, transformative programs in place of, in specific sectors or, or, or parts of their economy, that we help them bring together the partners and, and how that different types of capital and, and value added comes together and what role can we play in de-risking, in providing grants to that pool. And on the other hand, you know, really working with, with private sector uh, and, and innovations on the private sector side. So I was very happy at COP, for example, that we were able to announce really interesting things on the private sector side which I think I really needed, um, like our support as anchor investors to a green guarantee company to guarantee issuances of green bonds in developing countries. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, a, a financial institution that basically brings institutional capital um, to, to, because this is the thing, you know, <laughs> even I was in a panel with, well, actually, it was with Ray Dalio twice. That's a classic Davos thing. You're here with someone like Ray Dalio, the, the so, uh, investor. Yeah. Yeah, so I was with him twice, and you know, he's saying there's all of this institutional capital out there, and it's 0.3% of the 200 trillion that is going for climate. They want to invest, and we need to enable them to invest. I said, yes. This, and this is a conversation that we've been having for a long time about how to, bring institutional, uh, how to bring institutional capital. So one of the things that we've announced at COP again was support to this financial vehicle institution that basically brings institutional capital to provide long-term lending for subnational uh, authorities. Because again, remember, at COP, what was one of the big themes? Subnational. So not, cities, not yeah, like cities. How do we drive the urban agenda? Uh, urban and climate uh, sh change agenda. So, so that you know, we we announced things on um, basically transforming supply chains for um, you know commodities that are driving deforestation with private sector. Uh, we announced also another partnership with one of our partners, an equity fund, to provide energy access to the hardest to reach. This is all private sector, and we have the capability of working directly with those, with with those private sector investors, with 
um, and, and they come in a variety of ways. I mean, you know the World Bank really well because you were there yeah. for many years, right? You led the climate investment funds. Um, obviously, the World Bank has a big reform itself undertaking yeah. in a new president, and they are trying to crowd in private capital also for this. So where does GCF fit uniquely in this constellation? Um, you know, would you work with the bank and the private sector together, and what would you do differently than what the bank does or other MDBs do? So... I mean, we can be, again, enablers of all of them. Uh, and uh, as you rightly said, you know, I, I was also, I led the climate investment funds for a long time. Um, and it's the same logic is we, we were providing to the MDBs the risk capital, the patient capital, the concessional capital to enable their balance sheets to come and invest in, in, in certain projects. Um, the difference with between the CIF and the GCF is CIF focuses exclusively on MDBs. Jeff has the possi- GCF has the possibility of actually working directly with private sector. And in my engagements with private sector, Africa, uh, you know, AFC from Africa that we are a great partner with. They 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 basically invest African in infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. They basically do infrastructure investments. They are one of one of an example. We have we have several, and you know the the conversation is, the multilateral development banks are not providing the cap the type of capital that we are providing. Um, and so so we are we are sort of like filling that gap that the the private sector investors are actually filling, that there isn't necessarily. I mean they often say that. We are the only ones, actually, that come in at the scale and with the flexibility um, because the, the multilateral development banks can't go that far. Right. Or they, maybe they can. Maybe there are ways to do it, but they don't. <laughs> you know, it's not yet where they're... And let's see. Now, I mean, they are going through the, 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 the reform. I mean, the World Bank is going through their reform agenda. Um, and I understand that, uh, and it's as you said, you know, it's a conversation is it's quite a lot about um, how they enable private sector. I mean, I think, and I've said it before, and and you know, being a long timer in MDBs because not only I worked in World Bank, but I worked in African Development Bank as well for a number of years. Um, I think there's there's quite a bit of room for these organizations to. Um, Work with governments on the on the policy and the regulatory environments, um, because you know we know when we hear from private sector, if we have the right signals, if we have the right regulatory uh, frameworks in place, uh, if there's ease of doing business in areas that are relevant to climate, things can accelerate. Um, so I think, and, and they are really, you know, when we talk about this, these, these areas, yes, I mean, a government can go to a consulting firm mm-hmm. and get advice um, and pay, you know, a, a substantive amount of, of, of resources, um, which some will be willing to do and can do, some others might not be in a good place to do, Norm, you know. Normally, actually, those are the ones that are not in a good place to do that need more of the support. Right. Especially the countries you focus on, which yeah. are the least developed. 
So I think there is quite, and, and I mean, we, we are both here in Davos, and, and I guess you have the same sense that, there's, that, that I do. Things are moving fast. And, you know, the things are moving fast on the, on the industry side, on, you know, private sector, on the technology side. Um, and, you know, I hear the, the private sector companies here saying governments are not catching up. They have to catch, they are always behind. They are really behind. Um, so I think there's there's a quite a bit of a big space there for the multilaterals to because that's a natural place for them. Are you interested in the intersection of business and social impact? Do you want to know how corporate sustainability, ESG, impact investing, and more can contribute to development finance? My name is Adva Saldinger. I'm a senior reporter at DevEx, and I've been reporting on these issues for nearly a decade. I'm the author of DevEx Invested, our free weekly newsletter dedicated to development finance. Every Tuesday, we explore how companies, investors, and market mechanisms are reshaping the world of development finance. Visit devx.com slash newsletters and join us on Tuesdays. I feel like part of it is, you know, within the World Bank, they can do guarantees too, but that's in MEGA. They can do, you know, they can support private companies and private sector, but that's through IFC. You know, then they have lots of people inside the main World Bank group that are used to doing sovereign lending to, you know, build a road project or something. And here you're talking about much more sort of innovative things, things that even the most advanced countries are struggling to get right. So, so that, I mean, for that reason, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of the World Bank reform, and also because of what you are saying, because they have these three pieces. It's the main World Bank, it's IFC dealing with private sector and MIGA um, on, on the guarantees. Everybody knows that there's a need for deployment of more guarantees. I mean, we are in conversations with MIGA to do more with them uh, as well. So, so that's going to be, any, but I mean, in terms of my broader point is I think World Bank, World Bank, and the equivalent in other MDBs, I think need to double down the efforts on helping governments position themselves from a policy and a regulatory framework to drive climate investments and to catch up with all of the change that's going to go really fast uh, and that it's coming. Um, And then, you know, I've said it at COP, I was in an event with the heads of MDBs, we are here and very interested in, in discussing with them uh, how can we be enablers of them in their attempts of unlocking private capital. Uh, so we are having some conversations with some of them. You know, what can that look like? Not, not, a, not necessarily on a project finance basis, because uh, that, that tends to be the default is to, to do it on a project finance basis, you know, give, give to come to us and say, okay, give us resources for this particular project in this particular country. So what do you want to think about, kind of like a sector basis or an entire industry? What do you mean if it's not project finance? No, I mean, if, if, if uh, for example, they, they are thinking of some more of a platform to provide guarantees, or if they are thinking of some platform that can tackle the local currency risk, because uh, it's, it's a which issue, was right? a key issue that we know and is being discussed in, in, in so so that's the sort of 
um, think that you know I'm 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 keen to to see how that evolves. But in the meantime, you know what I'm really um, focused on in terms of of the GCF is continue to do a lot with private sector and innovate. Uh, and I just gave you some of some of those examples. And and what I like a lot of about these examples, a lot of the funds that we invest in they actually, we are providing them with equity, junior equity. They themselves are investing in local companies. So these are local entrepreneurs that are being supported, that are being given the capital to grow their businesses. Um, so that, that's a lot our agenda is how do we support the local entrepreneurs. In fact, we have big targets in the next four years. We, we, in terms of supporting local entrepreneurs, micro and small, medium enterprises uh, in country. Um, and I just want to make sure I understand this well. So, for example, you might find like a venture capital firm that is ready to invest in small-scale local entrepreneurs, but they can't take all the risk. And they know these are some fairly risky environments to work in for many reasons. So you say, we'll join you and we'll lose the money first, <laughs> you know, for what they call first loss, right? And so that makes it less, it doesn't take away the risk completely. The investment could still fail, but it reduces the risk enough, right, that they're willing to go into these markets they otherwise might not be willing to or yeah. invest more than they otherwise would. No, but they, you know, a lot of these equity funds and impact funds, they want to go into those markets and they want to work with those uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, so, so uh, but it's risky. Uh, and so they need partners um, and, you know, we, we provide then also a, a, a tranche of, of grant resources for advisory to, to, to provide advisory services to the entrepreneurs um, because, you know, they, they need a little bit of hand-holding and support. Um, so I think, you know, I've all, I mean, I had seen before, um, I've, I had seen before quite a bit the, the, the power of working with local financial institutions. Right, they're there, they're on the ground. They have a much better ability to understand the real risks. They don't yes. have the perceived risk that you might find. Them and they the land on local currency as well. Exactly. They, I mean, they work in local currency. So, so I think um, working with local financial institutions, but then also working with these equity funds um, and, and working with you know, the, the smaller entrepreneurs. So that's that's quite important. Right, because you can't go work with a small entrepreneurs yourself. You're no. too small to have to build a handle of all those transaction yeah, costs. No, no, no. I mean, uh, we we need to work with. Uh, already, we work quite a, with a number of partners. I told you we have more than two hundred. Right. But but that's know. why, like a local small bank, they could do that for you. They can be effectively the intermediary. They can local financial institutions. I mean, the larger uh, financial institutions, even small. I mean, we have actually we have development banks. Uh, in our network of partners that are small in terms of size because they are they are in small countries they're small economies so they are small and we work with them so th that is really really important and then the vulnerability like the vulnerable how do we reach the most vulnerable I know some of our private sector deals aim to do that and are doing that um, but not necessarily uh, yet at the scale that is necessary and in the very difficult countries and environments like the, the fragile and conflict-ridden states, um, what is it that we need to do more of? 
um, and which type of partnerships so that we can reach the most vulnerable. Um, so those are two big priorities. Of course, I know at some point you would you would you would ask me <laughs> um, what what more. I mean, when I laid out my vision in September at the UN Climate Summit, I spoke about this. I spoke about private sector capital mobilization. I spoke about vulnerability and targeting the most vulnerable. But I also spoke about making the institution efficient, more efficient um, and impactful um, such that we could we can manage 50 billion by 2030. So so there's a whole agenda um, and it's it's known because you know our partners also talk to me about that. they talk openly about it. Um, I think, you know, um, oftentimes when we set up new institutions, not o- I mean often, it's just the human nature, is you set up institutions or you set up anything new and, and, and you go and you look at what exists mm-hmm. and you draw from what exists. <laughs> um, well, but we know that the organizations that maybe we are benchmarking are not the benchmarks that we need. That's right. That's why you had to set up something new to begin with. So, so we really um, need to think, and you know, I, I'm. It's it's hard. It's hard for people to th- to to think about things being very very different from what they are used to see in other organizations, but. You know what I'm trying to do, and hopefully with support from from the board and, and and other key stakeholders, is to keep people focused on the urgency and the scale. If we lose track of that, right. we are lost. I mean, some of that's a cultural thing, right? I, I wonder. I mean, that's what Ajay Bang is dealing with at the World Bank too. Is changing a culture. Right? He came from a corporation that's a, a lot of corporate leaders are very focused on. There's that expression, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> what do you think is the culture like at GCF? Is that what you're trying to tweak to, to create, put some more urgency into, you know, with that operating culture? Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, uh, and these things are all intertwined. I mean, if, if you set up a foundation which is highly um, bureaucratic, if, if it's risk averse um, in your processes, in your, in your policies, in your processes, by the way, so the foundations, you know, end up being really important. So whatever policies you put in place and processes that you put in place. Right, um, initial structures. The, the, the structure and then, you know, how you keep building on that over time. Right. Um, if they are anchored on, you know, not the appropriate, not the appropriate balance in terms of impact and, you know, opportunity and risk. Right, impact or, and compliance, or, let's say, yeah. right? Then, you know, and then you are creating a certain culture. Right. Um, so... I think if we all, I mean, and the same is for everybody, even here in Davos, governments, private sector. Private sector tends to be quite a bit more agile. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Well, they're paid to take risks, right? I mean, that's one of the differences. Like, 
you're a steward of taxpayer money, effectively. And so that you can see why bureaucracies get developed and compliance culture takes over. But as you say, it's a balance. How do you like getting that right balance? We don't, it's not easy. No, we don't have the right balance. This is why I come back to if we focus on the urgency and speed, we 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 will understand that this balance that we've had or this perception of what's the right balance between, you know, impact and risk, if we continue on this paradigm that we've had in the past, it's very difficult to see how we get to the, to the scale at the speed. The bigger risk is climate change. Right? Yeah. I mean, we know what's happening So that's there, why. So. so what is it that people are willing to, in their minds, accommodate in terms of what they might perceive as we are taking risk in, to, account, to, to, to cater or enable for the big impact? Absolutely. So, so that's a little bit, um, you know, so we have big reforms coming up um, in terms of, and, and then, you know, you, you, with some changes in some policies or processes or procedures that we have, um, you know, hopefully you start driving a different culture. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so that's, it's it's not a small task. <laughs> no. no, it's not. Uh, and it's not you know I, I'm I'm also trying to to um, to convey to different stakeholders it's not going to happen overnight. But again, because you know we, the the science is scary more and more. Yeah. Every time you know we hear more from the science, and you know when I was actually on my way to Dubai and looking at what the latest science is, it's, it's pretty disconcerting that, uh, you know, some of the scientists, and some of the scientists that actually I studied with, that were my professors, uh, you know, when, when they say that we might need to be carbon neutral by 2035 and not 2050, and we might actually breach the 1.5 in this decade, then that's scary. You know, it's, that's scary. It's uh, so we 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 need to be you know we need to be prepared to do things differently. We need to be prepared to take on more risk. Um, because at least we have a chance <laughs> if we do that. If we go at the pace that we are going right now, we will not have a chance. Now, your organization is unique in a few ways. One, you talk about the flexibility, et cetera, but you're also like, you're the only one that's focused really on the least developed countries and really looking at adaptation for yes. places, for countries that they're the ones who are really most upset with the current reality that they didn't cause climate change and they're dealing with the brunt of it. Um, what about your role as a leader of this institution and of this issue? Should we expect to see you more as like, a spokesperson for this, an out there, you know, uh, vocal advocate. Obviously, you come from a finance background. In the end, this is like a financial institution, but but it does feel like we need activism too. Are you going to be? And you've just been in this job a few months. Are are you going to be more vocal yourself? I see myself. I mean, and and you know, I at some point in my career. Um, Quite a number of years ago, and I was I was doing my development career, 
And when I basically encountered the, you know, I, I saw actually the impacts of climate events, then I, and, and they triggered my curiosity, and I studied the science, a little bit of the science, and, and then, you know, at that point in time, because at that time, you know, when, when, I, when I looked at it, you, the science was still like some scientists saying, well, this, but maybe, but also this, and so it was a little bit difficult with, on both sides of the debate, credible scientists to really make up your mind. Uh, if you're just exposed to information, you know, at, at a very general level. So, so I, I, I basically decided this is my career now. This is what I'm going to, you know, dedicate my efforts because, you know, then I merged two things that I care deeply about. One was, you know, the poor and making sure that the poor, that we, we eliminate poverty and that we support the most vulnerable. Then I merged that with my next, you know, I mean, of course, something that touches on our hearts if we are parents, right. which is the future of my children, my three, three daughters. Um, so I have been a big champion of this agenda. Can I become more vocal and be more of an activist? Yes, I can. Um, but I, 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 and I will do it uh, if, in my assessment, that's what it's, that's what's necessary. Yeah, well, it is an important moment for you and for GCF and for everybody. And I don't know, this, this is your first Davos, I think, right? This is my first Davos. Yeah. How do you feel, like, coming here, do you walk away? I know you just had a meeting with the Minister of Finance. You're probably meeting lots of, you know, investors, apparently Ray Dalio and others, too. Like, what do you, what do you take away from, from the experience here? I, I mean, I, I think, so what I have found interesting and also, you know, why I took a keen interest in coming, and I'm here by myself. Um, no entourage. <laughs> <laughs> no entourage. Uh, was because, you know, they end up bringing the most prominent topics of the day and, you know, that we are confronted with. So this, this, this year we have these four topics, security, of course, nobody can dispute that, jobs and growth. Um, climate and then technology, AI and all of the technology advancements. So I was in, intrigued uh, in, in coming here. Of course, you always, take, you always take advantage of these gatherings because you end up, as it is an opportunity to meet a lot of people that yeah. are relevant. Especially the private sector, right? And yes. This is a key place for that. So, so from that perspective, it's, it's worthwhile. But even from a perspective of trying to see, okay, what's the debate? And, and how are these things intersecting in the debate? Because, um, because you know, I think we need, and I was in a, in a great discussion on health and climate. I've been a big champion of health and climate for a number of years. I, and, and, and it has been a frustration not to see more emphasis on climate and health because everybody cares about health. And if we just make all of the relevant stakeholders and citizens understand, and unless if we, take, if we tackle climate, you are gonna be exposed to much more health problems than even you are today. And already today you are because of climate. But we are not making this, you know, we are not using this lever. Security is another big lever. 
if people just understand that, you know, it is not sustainable what's happening right now, that, you know, we have migrations, big migration movements happening. This is just going to increase. Um, if, If we understand that a lot of the climate-related events are drivers of conflict. This needs to be more talked about. So I was intrigued about, you know, how are we talking about, how are we bringing these different dimensions um, together? And I think there's room, I mean, at least in my limited exposure of Davos, I think there's there's room to do more um, on the cross-section of these topics. Because one of the things that I think, you know, we need to do is, is really be crystal clear to the people. Because the people are in, they are consumers, they are producers, they are investors, they are voters in democracies. We need to be crystal clear that they need to be empowered with the information. And, and right now, I'm not sure, as a matter of fact, I can tell you, you know, that... I think that many of the people that needed an understanding of the linkage between climate and health and what's coming their way and and security and climate and migration and conflict, I think there's a long way to go. I agree with that narrative's not there yet, but hopefully this kind of conversation and what you're doing here will help to build it. I gotta let you get back to the (laughs) To the annual meeting, but thank you so much, my father, Dorothy, for, for being a part thank of this. Thank you, Raj. It was Great a pleasure. Great to see you, as thank always. You. Good seeing you. Thanks for listening to Davos Dispatch, a special edition of This Week in Global Development. If you enjoyed today's episode, and I sure hope you did, please share it, or you can also leave us a rating or a review. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform, and I'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to shoot me a message on social media at Raj underscore DevX or send an email to podcasts at DevX.com. Davos Dispatch is a podcast from DevX and it's hosted by me, Raj Kumar. Today's episode was produced and edited by Naomi Mihara.